You are locked on Packers. I feel like we can run the table. We really do. Your daily Green Bay Packers podcast. Rodgers gets out. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Floats it. Your team. Oh, every day. Touchdown. You are locked on Packers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm Peter Bukowski. I cover the Packers for the Leap. A newsletter I would love for you to subscribe to. You can follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. We have a loaded show from Radio Row in L.A. for you. Thanks to everyone who makes Locked on Packers their first listen of the day. Day. And today's episode is brought to you by Get Upside. Use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get 25 cents per gallon off on your first fill up. We've got Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus on the show talking Packers offseason. We've got Ben Solak from The Ringer, formerly of the Locked On Podcast Network, on talking Super Bowl, talking some NFL draft. And finally, we've got offensive lineman Ben Garland. He was on that 49ers team that unfortunately. Uh, pulled the pants down of the Green Bay Packers in the 2019 NFC Championship game. We talk about that game a little bit. That is at the end of the show. Let's get to it right now. Joining me now from Pro Football Focus, friend of the program, Mike Renner. Mike, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great, dude. Nice to actually finally meet you in person. We obviously talked a lot on pod before over Twitter, but it's always... Nice meeting people. What is the face. name of your CBD product that you're pushing here on Radio Row? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> we're gonna... I had one. I'd be uh, coming off the shelves right now. Uh, this is, uh, there's a lot to try and figure out for the Packers offseason. Let's, let's sort of push that to the side for now. Mm-hmm. Draft is your uh, ballywick most of the time. Uh, and we're, we're trying to put together mock drafts, right? How do you put together needs for a team that you don't know who's going to be on it in a month? I mean, you do it based off of the assumption, like you try to project out what a team's going to do. So if you have, you know, you're the, you're the Packers and, or I was a better example of that. You're a team that has a guy, they obviously are going to like franchise tag. You, you don't consider that a name, like a guy, a penning for agent. But if there's, you know, obvious holes on the roster that you know they're not going to be able to resign with the Packers, it's like the edge position, you know, they might not be able to keep all those guys in there. Then maybe you start to consider that a need. But like you try to project out as best you can. But really anything, any mock draft you're seeing right now, it's for clicks. Like, I'll keep it real. Like, it's, it is not like if intellectual honesty in a mock draft game. You got to throw out the window at this time of year. Yeah, anything before free agency is just sort of like for fun. Yes. It's like, here are the guys we think are going to be in this range and a vague understanding yeah. of who might be interested in taking them. Yeah, it's far more indicative of the players, right? the talent level there than it is actual team fits. So when, when you look at this draft, um, to me, it seems like there's, there is going to be a, a push um, not just from you, probably from me when I do my own mocks of trying to get some more complimentary receivers from this draft class. Yeah. Again, with or without Devontae Adams, that's probably something that they'll look to do. Who are the guys that you're looking at? Okay, these are the skill sets that can complement what's already in the building or what can amplify what this offense wants to be. I, I think speed, and uh, that's obviously with MBS hitting free agency, is the thing where if it's just Alan Lazard, Amari Rogers as your one two. Um, Equinemius St. Brown, that's not a fast receiving core. You know, <laughs> no. like that, that is not, you're not getting open deep a lot. 
And it's like they relied on Devontae Adams for that. And then when obviously when MBS was on, like it was the offense was that's when it was humming at its best. So I think any sort of speed or vertical threat is, you know, 1A, 1B, 2 in terms of need in this receiving core. Because if you don't have that, all of a sudden you're really closing off a lot of a big portion of the field that those guys can't win at. So the Packers don't take first round receivers, right? So if we're going to look on day two, are there any names that you like? That you're just like, okay, this the, the fit is here. Because there are some uh-huh. first-round receivers that, by the way, I love. And I think, you know, maybe the Packers should consider. I just don't know that they will. So, give me a, give me a couple day two names. If you want speed, there's not a lot faster receivers than Calvin Austin from Memphis. Mm-hmm. And he was at the Senior Bowl. At smaller guy. But, like, he is a pure speed, vertical, deep threat that, like I said, the Packers don't have. Probably going to run the four threes. And it show down against good competition at the senior bowl. So that's a guy I'd highlight, but like, that's not really the Packers MO is the yeah. problem with like when they draft speed at the receiver position, they, they don't like having guys that can only do that. Like they want like the Chris Olave of Ohio state where it's like, yeah, he wins deep, but he can do other things as well. So that's why I say like, if you're waiting to the back end of the second round, speed goes fast in the NFL draft. They're usually yeah. not going to be able to find it. So I think kind of their, kind of why they've ran into this niche is because they haven't addressed it at those points of the draft. They haven't been in the position to take those guys who are the difference makers in that area of the field. So that's why I would recommend a first-round wide receiver, but... <laughs> okay, they've so let, let's, let's play along for a second. Got let's say they, for one reason or another, happen to have the ninth overall pick yeah. in the draft. Yeah, not sure how they would get that, but uh, no, I follow. Uh, I'm and, and maybe <laughs> a, a certain future Hall of Fame quarterback is in Denver, et yeah. cetera, et cetera. Is there someone where you go, wide receiver one, this is the guy, I, I love it here, If they, because they're probably going to blow everything up yeah. at that point. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, there's a tier of wide receiver one in this class, and it's Drake Leonard from USC, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, and Jamison Williams from Alabama, in my opinion. Those guys, whatever, depending on what you want, that's your wide receiver one. If you want a possession receiver, it's Drake London. If you want kind of a movable chess piece, it's Garrett Wilson. If you want speed... Jameson Williams. So that's a guy I'd highlight. If you have number number nine overall pick, that is not too high to draft Jameson Williams in my eyes because he would have had he not torn his ACL, ran low four threes, fastest player in terms of just how we played the game of football in college football last year. So that is a guy who I would highlight. That would go a long way to this receiving core if you got him. A, a guy that I that I was watching that I was just like, I, I don't I don't I don't know exactly if he's ready to be. Uh, I, I said he was. Um, what LaVisca Chanel fans told us that okay. he was but yeah. wasn't. You know what I'm talking about? Traylon Burks from, yeah. from Arkansas. I watch him and I just go, how many different ways could Matt LaFleur and this offense use him? I don't know. I haven't I haven't watched everybody. He was just the guy that jumped out as like, this guy could be special. Yes. And so he's, to me, he's like a poor man's DK Metcalf. And like, like a better version of Alan Lazard. In that they're <laughs> That's big, a pretty big delta bodied, in there. Yeah. Like a big bodied. Physical, can block with speed is kind of the other caveat that a lot of guys who are 225 pounds aren't running past defensive backs. Traylon Burks is. And so he's he played a lot of the slot in Arkansas. He's not kind of like DK Metcalf with all outside. Burks is all inside in college. So it's a little bit different of a projection. But again, you're drafting physical specimens, trying to project them to the NFL and what they could be. And there's not many better physical specimens in this class than Burks. There has been, I think, this idea that in order, you know, you bring in Rich Pizzaccia to try and fix your special teams. And then there's this idea that, oh, well, then you need to focus more draft equity on special teamers. Whereas 
I, most of your day three guys, they love to draft athletes anyway, which yeah. is what you want on special teams. And they they tried. Amari Rogers was supposed to be the returner. Like, like to what degree do you think that is actually a strategy to making your special teams better? I think it's almost the opposite. It's like if you had a bad special teams coach, that's when you should have prioritized guys who knew what the right. hell they were doing. You know, like that's <laughs> right. when you get the guys who you don't need much coaching. So I think Rich was actually like you draft guys who you think can make an impact on a football field. If those guys can make an impact on a football field, I trust Rich Passaccia to get the most out of them on special teams. So I don't think prior, after, you know, day three, I'm not prioritizing special teams on the Green Bay Packers. I'm just prioritizing guys who can see the field for me. It does seem weird because they have always, especially on day three, they're just taking, like, relative athlete score, spark score, yeah. like, all-stars. And it hasn't translated. That's just It's just a weird thing. You'd think that that's the perfect way to build the special mm-hmm. teams, and it, it just hasn't translated. Uh, last thing. Uh, you were uh, you used to be a long hair guy. Mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers became a long hair guy. What? Help him out because it's 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 kind of it's looking like a little unkempt at times. Like what is the what's the what's the tip? See that was the problem that Rodgers mistimed it because there's always a spot in there where it looks like hell. Like, <laughs> like there's probably about four months, four to five months where it's just bad. And he timed that immediately at the start of the season. If you think back to like when he had like that top knot thing, mm-hmm. then that picture that was going around, that was one of the worst like hair knots I've seen in my life. That was like when he had just come back from vacation or whatever, right. from taking the off season off. And all of a sudden comes back to that. And then you've got four or five months of him just in the awkward hair stage. You've got a power through, wear a lot of hats, a lot of helmets in that stage and not be in front of the media with your hair down, <laughs> which he unfortunately was. He did a lot of beanies. That was sort of how yeah. he... He, he approached it. Um, I have to ask you how, just speculate recklessly for me. Mm-hmm. How do you oh, think this this Rodgers, uh, it's not quite a spectacle yet. I was going to uh-huh. call it that. It was a spectacle last year. Yeah. But the, the saga, how do you think it plays out here? Oh, man. I, I think they try to run it back. I, I think they do everything they can to run it back. But that's going to be difficult with the more, the bigger thing is the Devontae Adams situation to me. Right. Because... To clear the cap space, to then tag him, to then convince Rodgers to come back, because obviously you would want to play with Devontae Adams, is going to kind of bring the roster to its knees to a degree. Like, it's just going to be difficult to create all that space to do so. And obviously, at Devontae Adams' age, they're not going to back up a nice chunk of change that other teams will in free agency. So I think that's the biggest thing, is if they can maneuver enough to tag Devontae Adams, Rodgers is back. If they say no, whatever, they're trading Rodgers, letting Devontae walk, and it's over. It's a full blow up. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know. I wouldn't call it a full blow up. It's, I mean, you trade Rodgers, it's, you're getting a lot in return. So it's like, it's a reset. I, I don't think they really cut, like I said, if they're not cutting everyone to get to resign Devontae, they're keeping right. guys then. What's the, is there a package that you've sort of like worked out? Like, okay, if Denver calls and offers this, like, that's a pretty appealing. Cause they seem like the team. Right? Where they're at, yes, in the top 10, which is a valuable pick. If you're getting, two first rounders and one of their wide receivers back, which I think Jerry Judy would be like, it's been the rumor of whatever. Right. I'm taking that from the Packers. Like it, because this is number like, nine, Jerry Judy and the 2023 first. Yes. Like, because, and probably you'd add like seconds, thirds, whatever on yeah. top of that. But because I'm taking that because to, next year is if, if you're the Packers, if you run it back and do all the cap magic necessary, you're in a one year window that then shuts pretty darn hard. after yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you're in a one-year window that you're then screwing off the next five years. Whereas if you flip this, Jordan Love turns into 
what they thought they, he was when he drafted him. You windows a decade plus. And even if Jordan Love's not, you then became an attractive destination to other quarterbacks because you have so much draft capital because you have a roster that's already talented. So I think that, to me, has always kind of been the Packers. Maybe I'm talking myself into them trading them. That's always been the Packers' MO, is playing for the future, not ever going all in. This was the most all-in season that I've ever seen from them in my lifetime. So I, I do think that that is probably the course of action that I guess they would take that spot. Well, we'll see. A lot to a lot to still be figured out, Mike. I appreciate it, man. Yes, no, appreciate you having me on. Glad to be back. Sadly, the Packers couldn't be here. I was kind of banking on it. But uh, I was too, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but here we are. But good talking. All to right. You. Thanks, Mike. A lot more to get to on today's program. Today's episode brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. The Super Bowl is the best time to gamble. So why not get on it with Bet? online bet online is the best spot for all your sports though not just the super bowl they've got nba uh nhl is trying to get things figured out with covid but that you think that's got to be back golf anything you can think of to gamble on bet online has it there for you don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers for the 2022 season bet online where the game starts i'm here with ringer nfl extraordinaire ben solak and and ben we have a terrific game coming up here on Sunday. Uh, not the matchup I think anyone thought we were going to yeah. get, except for the one guy who hit the crazy parlay that, that made a bunch of money on all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the what is the storyline that you're most excited about? I mean, you have to talk about it and write about it all week, mm-hmm. but what's the storyline that you're like, yeah, this is the one for me? Uh, I think, you know, the quarterbacks are easy, but it is the best one. And it's the fact that they're both, like, pretty formative to their respective teams and to where they are right now. Uh, Sean McVay and Zach Taylor were on the same coaching staff, 2017-2018 with the Rams, Jared Goff offense, right, under center, play action, like what we know this offense to be. And then Taylor went to Cincinnati. They got Joe Burrow. They pretty quickly realized what they could do with Joe Burrow, what he allowed them to do on offense, and they changed the, changed the structure of that McVay offense. They went more spread. They went more shotgun because Burrow could handle it. In Los Angeles, McVay moves on from Jared Goff, trades from Matt Stafford, Becomes more spread, becomes more shotgun, more drop back pass because they knew that Stafford could handle it. It looks different for both of them. Burrow's more quick game, Stafford's more down the field. But both quarterbacks changed the way the offense worked. And it's kind of interesting to see that co-evolution, right? Two separate places, two new quarterbacks in those places, and then how each offensive designer has adjusted around that. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty beautiful, too. You wrote a really cool piece. Uh, a couple of weeks ago about the divergence with mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan's offense and, and the Sean McVay offense. Yeah. Zach Taylor's offense is a little bit different. Matt LaFleur's mm-hmm. offense is a little bit different. Um, the, the offense in, uh, in Cleveland is a little bit different. What is it about this wide zone yeah. scheme that allows it to be so different for everyone? Cause it used to be the West coast, like, Everyone just ran the West Coast offense. It's right. not like that with this. Yeah, it's a really good question. So we're gonna put we're gonna put our quarterback under center. We're gonna put our back eight yards back. We're gonna put out a whole offensive line. Um, we're gonna threaten to run wide zone, right? We're gonna threaten to run to the boundaries to get outside of you with wide zone. What that's gonna force you to do is two things. One, you're gonna have to play with a single high safety. Really, really hard to defend that without an extra number in the box, an extra hat for a gap. So usually you're playing with single high safety. The other thing that's gonna do is once we snap it and we, we have that line start to flow and we have that back start to run and that quarterback turns his back to the defense, your backers have to respect it, right? They have to go. They have to take that first step. They have to flow, right? Is what we would say defensive coaching wise. They got to flow. So now I know two things you're going to do on defense, generally speaking. That's a lot. That's way more than zero. Like in terms of how much <laughs> it matters for an offensive coach, that really matters. So when, when you look at where Jared Goff and, and Jimmy Garoppolo in those two offenses were throwing the football in the heyday of this offense, 2017, 2018, it was intermediate middle of the field. It was in front of the single high safety. 
and behind the linebackers who had to move because we knew that guy was going to be up there and these guys were going to be moving, right? And so it, it created a, a formula for offense. It created an if-then sort of, you know, uh, logical path for offense. Defense started to figure out how to adjust to it. And then the divergent evolution you see is Shanahan solutions versus McVay solutions, and some work better and some don't. And they move on from golf and they draft Trey Lance. And kind of everything spreads from there. But fundamentally, in Cleveland, in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins, all these offenses were saying, we're going to put bodies on the line, we're going to run outside zone, and it's going to tell us some certainties about your defense, and that makes our job a lot easier. Let's talk about the coaching carousel because mm-hmm. we, we are, we are uh, getting these dominoes every day. I look at a team like the New York Giants and the staff that they put together. It's fun. With that roster, I don't know, but but what what has stood out to you about the carousel? Well, uh, it was a bad carousel for minority coaching hires again, which really sucks. Uh, it especially sucks because it's all very blatant. It's all very obvious, right? You'd like for it to you'd like to be able to say like, oh, you know, bad cycle for minority coaches, but there was an earnest effort. The same three guys got interviewed for all the jobs. None of them got it. Uh, you know, we have Mike McDaniel as our minority hire, which, you know, in and of itself is an interesting conversation. Uh, Lovey Smith then gets the Texans job and that Houston search was a debacle and unsurprisingly so, given the fact he's running it. And so for the minority coach you have hired, you have McDaniel, who doesn't appear to be a minority coach and doesn't have the, the same lived experience like a Brian Flores. And then you have Lovey Smith, who just very clearly is the same thing David Coley was. He's a placeholder and he's not being viewed uh, as a legitimate option. The conversation around the Rooney rule and the conversation around minority coaching hires continues to be one that's really fun to have in practice. It's fun to talk about on air, like, oh, here are good ideas, whatever. Let's fill the pipeline. Fundamentally, it's not doing anything, right? There, there, there are no repercussions. And that's where you get frustration. That's where you get guys like Brian Flores, where he's willing to put his coaching career on the line for the sake of any sort of legitimate movement. Um, and that's the only thing that matters in coaching cycles right now. Like I'm, I think Doug Peterson was a good hire. I think Brian Dable was a good hire, but there's going to be good hires. There's going to be good offensive minds in the NFL until the cows come home. What matters right now is making sure that more and more of those coaching hires are, are black coaches period. This game is always used as a measuring stick for the rest of the league. What, Mm -hmm. what can we learn from these Super Bowl teams that we can, we can implement in our own Mm -hmm. process, whether it's offensive, whether it's team building, your, your background is, is NFL draft. Mm-hmm. Um, there are 30 teams thinking about this now. Right. What is, what is a lesson that you see from either of these teams to say, okay, this is something that I think is replicable. This is an important thing that we should look at. Is get stars too dumb and easy, right? Uh, uh, I, the, the, have good players. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> the midseason acquisitions of Odell and Vaughn saved the Rams. The drafting of Jamar Chase saved the Bengals. And the thing is like, I don't think Chase is going to be like as good next year as he was this year. It'd be ludicrous if he was. He was incredible this year. Vaughn and Odell were not playing as well in their previous spots, and bringing them in was a risk. So you say get stars, and it feels very easy to say at the Super Bowl, looking at the two teams that are left and their stars. But the reality is that getting stars can be tricky. It can be hard. Uh, you know, that Penny Sewell-Jamar Chase conversation is still very much there. Sewell was a really good player. We have only one year of data. Like, it, it, it still is a conversation. So, so getting stars is a two-word sentence, and it feels easy, but it's actually really hard. Once you get those stars, then it's a matter of maximizing, right? The Bengals have made the entire plane out of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. The Rams' passing offense is night and day what it was under Jared Goff, and that's because not only Matt Stafford, but Odell Beckham Jr. and the emergence of Cooper Cup. Defensively, the Rams are clearly their star. Defensively for the Bengals, Jesse Bates is making game-winning plays, Trey Henderson with game-winning pressures. Like Bates and Henderson aren't viewed as the stars, but those are the guys that you need. And so it's nice to have like a GM who can find a good fifth-round pick who hangs around 
But the reality is that you, if you're not attracting stars in the NFL, you're not getting here. Sweet. Go Birds. All right. Before we finish up the show, we have to talk about our friends at Built Bar. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And if you're like me, you might have fallen off the wagon on some of these New Year's resolutions that you had. But Built Bar makes it easy to stay on your resolution to snack healthier. That's one of mine. I know that I eat a lot of junk when I snack. And I'm trying to be better about it. But guess what? I like to snack on things that taste delicious. Celery, carrots, I don't really want that. But Built Bar makes it easy. Something that's high in protein, high in fiber, low in net carbs, low in sugar, and yet it tastes delicious. You would not expect something with that profile of macros to taste delicious, but with flavors like mint chocolate chip, caramel brownie, my favorite, I love the coconut brownie, There are terrific options to choose from, and they are all absolutely delicious. Use the promo code LOCKS15 to get 15% off at Built.com. Today's episode also brought to you by GetUpside. This is an app that you need to know about if you buy gas, and let me guess, you buy gas. Why not? Why not get paid to do something you already were going to do, that you already had to do? That is what GetUpside allows you to do. Get cash back just for filling up. And when you download the app in the App Store and enter the promo code TOUCHDOWN, you could get $0.25 per gallon or more off on that first fill up. You're already going to do it. Gas prices are too high for you to think that you should have to pay those prices and not get a little money back for your efforts. You're going to do it anyway. So why not get money back with GetUpside? Use the promo code TOUCHDOWN to get $0.25 per gallon or more back on that first fill-up. We're here with 10-year NFL vet Ben Garland, now on the content creation side here, promoting some some charity work as well. Um, how did you get into the, the content creation game? We just saw like a, a missing opportunity in the market. I mean, doing the Wingman 63s, our company, so we started this year and we're really proud of it. But you just see like, you so many friends who have incredible stories, athletes, musicians, artists, and you meet them along the way, especially playing in the league so long. And they have incredible stories and you get to know them. And these guys are getting sponsorships and doing deals, but they're not really matching up with what they're truly passionate about. And so you know these guys' background and you'll be able to work with them and know, what do you really care about? And then finding that for them and matching them with that so they can be genuine in that campaign. And I think that really makes you lean in more and really care about something more. And whenever you can develop that content and you know the person behind it genuinely cares about it. Me, like Chris Long and the Water Boys, and, and, they, and they genuinely care about he- helping people. And so with that and our foundation, we really try to make a difference as, as a big part of it, too. So we want to give back and make sure every campaign we do does something. So with every athlete or artist or musician we work with, we make a donation in their name. And a lot of the campaigns we're doing, we're proud to say that they're making an impact. Like the one we're working on right now is with Cal Hope. And it's telling all Californians about the mental health resources that are free to them. We're finding these guys that genuinely care about mental health and those issues or have had issues of their own. Like we got to do an incredible piece with Jay Glazer, the other thing that was extremely powerful because he, he fights for it. He just wrote a book about it, Unbreakable. Awesome book, absolutely loved it. And being having him and the campaign and how he genuinely cares about it, I think it comes over so much better in the content where you lean in because you know that person cares. We're here at Radio Row with former offensive lineman Ben Garland. Ben, uh, this is something that I have noticed but offensive linemen, when when they stop playing, a lot of them, they look like me when they're done, when they looked like you when they were playing. Is that going to happen to you? 
uh, eventually, but <laughs> I, I, I'm ramping up to go play another season. Okay. Like, I'm, I'm ready to play, and I'm excited to come back this season. Dealt with an injury last year, but I'm, I'm getting back in. But, yeah, definitely after football, which hopefully won't be for a little bit, um, I'm going to get – I'm going to slim him down. I'm going to drop down to, like, 230, 240. It's always interesting to see the reverse, too. You always see those little guys, the running backs and receivers. <laughs> A little bit chubbier cheeks. <laughs> they're eating the same way, but they're not putting the same amount of calories and output. And you see them blowing up a little bit. So Are you the kind of guy that see. has to like pound the calories to Unbelievable maintain? Amount. Like force extra food all the time in order to maintain my size. And so I remember the other day I didn't eat that much and I lost a ton of weight just from not force feeding myself like I usually do. So you, you through, through the charity work and I think the content creation, have this um, uh, impetus to help people. Who helped you along your journey? I, yeah, I definitely think that's inherent with all of us. I think there's some aspect of the human experience where we want to give back and you want to help others. And whatever you do, I mean, it means the world to all, us. And it's, a lot of times it makes you feel better than the person you helped. But definitely along the way, my grandfather was a huge influence on me. He's had service before self, officer in the Air Force, full bird colonel that always went out of his way to help others. You know, a lot of other people along the way. I remember there was one Bronco player that came down to my hometown in Grand Junction and like had me shoot hoops and do stuff with him and that made my day for the next month so now that i knew i had the opportunity to make a similar impact he wasn't a big name guy but a bronco player talked to me spoke with me he was genuine with me made a huge impact on me so my entire career i've been trying to do 63 events a year in order to kind of make that investment and hopefully make a similar impact to some other kid out there this has been something that you, you always get a different answer from offensive linemen when you talk to them about it. I, I've had this conversation with uh, longtime Packer guard Mike Wall about these offenses now that just want to throw the ball. And you're, you're Buffalo and you want to throw it 50 times, 55 times. And offensive linemen will say, okay, great. I'm moving backward 55 times. I did not get into this game to play it this way. So all of that is to say uh, how much of it from, from your standpoint is, is mental, like, all right, you need to you need to sort of like get us some get us some work in here, get us a lather going. If you want us to pass protect, let, can we run gap a couple of times? Can we run some power? Like, what is your your stance on that? Run the ball, <laughs> run the ball, establish the run. And I think when you do, I mean, a lot of coaches get it. I mean, Kyle Shanahan is my coach in Atlanta as offense coordinator and the head coach of the Niners. That guy's a genius. I think he understands football in a way that few do. And he said a lot of times his goal is to run it thirty times a game. That, that's his number. And I think when you run the ball and you establish that. It kind of changes the way the defense plays. But then you can play pass off of that, which looks exactly like the run, which changes the box. And then you can throw in the passes when you have to. But if I was a coach, I would never not run or play action pass. Everything's going to look like a run. And I think it really sets it up and really opens up defenses, whether they have to force too many in the box to try to stop your run or they have to just change the way they play, which I love to control the ball. I mean, you're talking run it down their throats, control the line of scrimmage. And I think that changes the games. And when teams do that, it is tough to play them. It, it is hard to argue as a Packers guy when I watch the 2019 NFC Championship game. One of my favorite games. I, I can imagine it was. I mean, what is it? What is it like when you're in there and you're just like, do, do you get to a point where you're like, we're just these these guys are they're done. I, they're just you like, they they've given up. Yeah, and, and you see them like even in that game, you saw them do stuff I'd never seen them do before, trying anything to try to stop us, and that's the best feeling in the world as an offensive lineman when they're doing everything they can. And it doesn't matter. You're still imposing your will and imposing it on them. And especially in a game like that, you're talking the NFC Championship and running amount of yards they did. I mean, Raheem Mostert alone had an unbelievable game. The amount of yards and touchdowns that guy got. And 
even a guy like that, it's fun to play with him because remember one of my touchdowns, he handed me the ball to spike it. And like in the NFC Championship, your, your, your son's in the stands watching your father play. And he's like, hey, man, here's the ball. Like you're part of this. And it's cool to be a part of a team like that. And when you are dominating in that aspect of the game. What makes Kyle special as a coach, as a play caller? I, I love his Friday meetings. His Friday means he elaborates on why he's playing, what he calling what he does, and how it's going to affect teams. And he's his accuracy is unbelievable. He'll show us a play and he'll be like, "This play is not great. We're not going to get many yards in it." But ten plays later, it's going to set up this, which is going to be an explosive play or pass that's going to be for thirty-six or thirty-seven yards. And it makes you fight that much harder for the play. He knows isn't great. We know isn't great. But what it's setting up later down the line is amazing. We actually have two coaches in in this game who run a version of that Shanahan offense. Um, what do you what do you think it is about this offense that that right now it is it is just it seems like it's unstoppable when it's run correctly? I, I think it's that aspect that we talked about earlier. I mean, you're talking about establishing a run, and then everything kind of looking similar. So you run a run play and then a play pass that both look the exact same. It forces the defense to hesitate for a split second, and this is a game of inches and split seconds, especially at this level. And so if you're hesitating, that's a couple extra yards. Those couple extra yards every play add up real quick. And then you control the time, you control the clock, and then you control everything because you, they're playing at you versus you having to adapt to what they're doing. All right, thanks to all the people who joined us on the show today. We're going to be back tomorrow. Hopefully we're going to have some, some Green Bay Packers on the show later this week uh, and, and a lot more. Some some surprise guests um, and and someone that I, I, I did not even know was a Packer fan, but is he's also going to be on the show this week. So stay tuned for all that. Follow me on Twitter, Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked on Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, you can do that. 920-341-3775 to stay Locked on Packers.